Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Mr. Beacon Podcast is sponsored by... Williot. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. Back for another exciting trip into the world of IoT. This time we're going out to sea. We're actually going out to sea again. We're making a return visit to an old friend and colleague of mine, Sam Jar, who's the chief product officer at Alpha Ori who are specializing on bringing IoT to shipping. Sam, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be back on your show. Um, I've, I've been watching some of your recordings. I've been, I know you've been doing amazing with all these recordings. So it's, it's really nice to be back. Well, we don't often do um, boat sh uh, shipping uh, episodes. Uh, the last time we did it was three and a half years ago when you were on the show. And I think this is a fascinating opportunity to see what has changed. I think you were fairly early in your voyage, if you'll pardon the pun. Uh, you've probably gone a little bit further. So uh, I'd love to just uh, uh, ask you what has happened since we last met. But before we do that, can you just refresh people's memory for anyone that didn't watch that show three and a half years ago or listen to it? Uh, what, what does your company do? So we are a B2B technology company. Um, we are, there's a word called digitalizing. Um, so we are digitalizing the shipping industry. We are bringing the latest technology of big data science, machine learning into shipping industry, which has been work, uh, operating in an old fashioned way. And we are taking them to the next level uh, of operation the way it ought to be managed in the current environment or in the future. So we are digitalizing their entire fleet and taking the ship operation or bringing ship operation 2.0, you can say. And what are the problems that you're solving? So we are, uh, if, if you look at it, what is ship operation 2.0, which means transparency, high-end analytics, and if bringing productivity and efficiency real time, you know, by having it a real time communication to these vessels. Uh, on a high level, we are doing the, you know, these three areas we are targeting. And if you see what are the benefits our customers are having, they're having benefits of increased productivity, 
cost efficient operations and dollar savings because ultimately everything boils down to dollar savings and not to say or, or, or not the least is we are also proud of making shipping sustainable in this world where climate change is is an impending disaster moving our way and shipping is a is a, is a con- contributor to that and through our products we are helping ship make shipping sustainable as well how is what you doing how is your business being affected by covid I, i'm really interested in this i i hear that there's dozens of massive uh container ships stuck outside of the port of los angeles that uh the economy is teetering on hyperinflation because costs are going way up um is is that true what what, what are you seeing and how is it affecting your company excellent question steve uh to be honest when covid struck us we were in a bit of dire straits we were trying to figure out given our supply chain and how things move for our own installation all around the world on different vessels uh, how do we manage it so that was a question that came, uh, was the you know for you know foremost on our mind and then will there be enough supply so let us first talk about how did the covid impact the shipping industry and i'll tell you how did it impact us and how what we did to mitigate that so to your point shipping industry went saw a quick you know slump but it also saw a v-shaped recovery when people were sitting at home with this discretionary cash they didn't want to spend where you know so they ended up buying a lot of things online so actually the buying dipped but it went up right away so there were demands of all these uh, goods coming from asia for example to the united states um so that continued that didn't stop so uh, there was a uh, same thing happened on the tanker industry and the gas industry the demand was dip, demand dipped for a while but it came right back up so that's how it impacted shipping industry so we see okay some slump in demand but it came right back up when it came to our industry our what we do is that we install hardware on ships the I, which you know which collects data or from sensors on the ship once we get the data then it's all on the cloud which is great then we can do whatever we want with the data uh, you know for the, for our customers but initial installation saw a complete stop because our people couldn't fly to china couldn't fly to europe couldn't fly to us to do all these installations so what we did we completely revamped the supply chain so instead of getting the product from taiwan to india working on the product then then shipping it along with the people to certain locations we revamped the entire product entire testing was left moved if if we can say that and the the entire all the servers and hardwares that was ready in taiwan got shipped directly to the ships and now the product is there how do we install it to so we say we um struck a deal with local people in all, various ports who will go to the ship when ship arrives they'll go to the ship hardware already exists is there they'll install it and once they install and the data starts flowing then it's in our control completely that's what we did we created a worldwide uh, web in a way uh, of our own installation uh, mechanics so we have installations in you know 
all the ports, uh, many ports in Asia, in Europe, in US, where people go to the ship, install it, so the data starts flowing. It took us a few months to do all that work, but I tell you how good things happen if you just try. So our capacity of installations went multifold. So if we were able to install, let's say around uh, 10 ships at the you know, prior, uh, per month prior to COVID, now post COVID, I can install, right now I can install 30 ships per month. And there's no limit to it because it's, become, it's, made, it's been made scalable. There are people sitting there, our contractors in different ports ready to install. That's interesting. I mean, we actually experienced something similar. We would do, we had this distributed supply chain. Uh, we were making tags in Germany, designing them in Israel. And it was very logical doing it that way. But what we were finding was uh, this was um, the innovation cycles were taking a long time. And um, then COVID came and suddenly we could no longer send people from Israel to Germany to work in the facility of our partner. So we ended up buying, investing in a million dollar manufacturing capability, uh, one of these machines that makes uh, um, the tags that we make. And, and we set it up in Israel and, and suddenly our innovation cycles went from, from months to, to, to weeks. So it's like COVID forced us to re-examine things and suddenly it's been accelerated. It seems similar to what you just described for, for you guys. So, um, how has, so that's how COVID has impacted you. How is it impacting the use cases? Uh, is it impacting the use cases that you're being asked to implement? Absolutely. Um, so, as you know, this uh, people used to go on the ship to in, do inspection uh, and 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 many other maintenance activities, all that. So we started. Uh, we started to see when the COVID hit. We saw some cancellations in our contract, uh, immediate dip because people were trying to preserve cash in the uh, um, face of uncertainty. But very quickly, we started to see a shift in demand of automation and um, remote monitoring and remote diagnostics. Because, hey, I cannot have somebody from Japan fly out to Oslo to do this diagnostics. So can I do it remotely? How do I get data remotely? And guess what? That's the sweet spot that we were in, that we can get you live data from anywhere to anywhere and provide you all the analytics that you can you can get. So this started to roll, the conversation started, and suddenly we saw the drop in customers, it stopped. And in fact, many of the new customers started inquiring about our software, our, our, our proprietary product, SmartShip, our platform, that how can we get digital platform on it and if i get it can you tell me what the values are so um, there is a resurgence of activity including demands of digitalization of ships and vessels so that things can be done remotely rather than visiting the ship which was the norm so it sounds like covid forced you to change the way you did deployments and it 
increased your capacity. It sounded like it forced your customers to be more efficient, which drove demand for your products. Where is the, what's the constraint? What is it that is, what's the bottleneck in your business that if you had a magic wand, you'd remove in order to scale even faster? I, I think uh, that, that was the question we were struggling. The moment I was able to scale the installation, because earlier we thought that, oh, we can't have hired so many people and we can't fly them out. And that is out of the window right now which means our installation capability has gone up. So what is stopping it? Despite all those changes that we made, there is some limitation still there, which, which means you have to organize the hardware arrival on the ship, and then somebody has to go there to install. So now imagine a ship sailing from Rotterdam to Brazil. And we say, okay, we are ready to ship it, but now we gotta wait until it reaches Brazil. And guess what? We don't want to ship it in Brazil because there is a very high tax there. So let's wait till it comes back to Rotterdam. Now, suddenly you are 45 days behind or 30 days behind, depending on the speed of the vessel. So the question started to come, can we build a product where we take the hardware installation element completely out. Now, of course, as you know, I IoT would require a certain amount of um, installation or so that it can connect to sensors and, and take data. So we are now working on a product which will not be, which will not do all the things that is done by a smart ship professional, which is our flagship product. But some of the high demand applications from that, uh, uh, package can be done completely uh, without hardware installation. That means we collect this. We we collect the public data, merge with some private data, and make it a software-only product for those specific applications. Uh, we are in the middle of developing that software, which will uh, go live uh, in second half of this year, and that. Installation can happen 300 ship installation in one month because it's a software only product solving specific needs, not the complete digitalization, but solving specific needs of companies who are looking to enhance their profitability and fuel savings. And give me a few examples of what those needs are that you can solve with without the hardware and then what I'd like to do is ask you how that then, you know, what what are the extra things you can do when you add the hardware? But I, I think this is super important. It doesn't apply to, it goes beyond ships. It's like infrastructure, hardware is the thing that slows you down. And, and slowing scaling is obviously the enemy of any business, any startup especially. So what is it that you can do? What, what, what can you deliver? What are the benefits you can deliver without hardware? And then what does the hardware let you do after that? Sure, sure. So um, when you look at the commercial side of shipping, one of the biggest problems they struggle with is that how do I maximize the asset uh, or maximize the profit from this asset? And in order to know that, you would want to know 
how can I, it's called TCE, one of the very uh, common word in shipping that is called total charter equivalent, which says, if I make a trip, how fast can I make or how slow can I make? Uh, and what is the difference between um, earning per day that I will have either moving too fast or moving too slow? Because as you move too fast, you're going to burn more fuel, as you know. And you move too slow, you're going to take more time to reach the port. So given the market condition, what is what are the factors that I should consider to maximize the earning per day result? So that is something we can solve by our new product. It's called Smart Voyager, by the way. Uh, we can solve by giving them the options that if you want to go, if you want to uh, maximize fuel saving or maximize earning per day, you can have that calculation and based on your given condition, you can make a call. For example, I don't have any, any charter waiting for me. Once I complete the voyage, that means I'll be sitting idle over there. So guess what? I'm going to go slow and maximize my fuel saving, which is the highest expense on the vessel. And if I have charter waiting, the market is hot, then can I spend more time, more money on fuel, reach fast, deliver it, and grab onto next charter? What does it do to earning per day on my asset? So these problems, we are using um, lots of codes, uh, many public data, and in uh, individualized ship data coming from shore, uh, coming from the ship even though lesser frequency than what SmartShip can give us. And we can merge all that in the code to provide these decision support system to our customers and let them make the call based on their condition, what they want to do. So this we can provide right now without having to install hardware. Now to your second question, what else can you do if you install hardware? And if we install hardware, now we can do much more than this application, right? We can do predictive maintenance that we are doing on many of the vessel. We are catching anomalies which prevents failures and thereby uh, reducing breakdown, uh, saving on spare parts. At the same time, we are extending the overhauling period of many machineries by showing the health score and the data, how good the machinery is performing. So you do not need to do it at 8,000 hours, which has been prescribed in the manual. You can extend it to 10,000 hours. So for, to, for doing these things, it cannot be done without getting the sensor data directly from the ship and we'll have to install hardware. That's another example of what additional things we can do um, by having um, hardware installed. Um, then comes notification and so and so on. We can talk more about that, is that how can we get on-time notifications um, for, uh, you know, when you're crossing in a hazardous zone, when uh, you're getting uh, a data which is, which, which is matching or which is a wayward data compared to where it should be. So there are many, many other um, applications of having hardware on board, but there is, a, there is a good amount of benefit to be had from the software which can be, which people can quickly be trained on, which can be rolled on at a faster level at the large number of vessels. And keep in mind, 
some of our customers, they say, I'm going to charter a ship for only um, three months or one month. I do not have Sam. I do not have time for you to take three months or two months to come and install everything, hardware and this and that. Because I may not have that ship after three months. I may decide to let it go. So can you give me something which I can roll roll in like one day or two days with training and it goes on? So that's another area we are looking at. I got to ask you, what is a hazardous zone? Are we talking pirates or or what? Uh, Well, uh, when it comes to hazardous zone, then yes, piracy, the bad weather. Uh, At the same time, there are certain zones called uh, environmental compliance zones. Those are not hazardous. Those are safe zones. But when you enter those safe zones, you ought to be burning certain kinds of fuel. You cannot be polluting that zone. So around the U.S., for example, we have this uh, environmental compliance area that before the vessel can enter, they must change over the fuel to go to low surfal fuel. Otherwise, they'll be uh, uh, penalized by the coast, you know, authorities. Fascinating. Um, You touched on some things that give me an opportunity to do IoT buzzword bingo. You you talked about analytics in the cloud and I'm going to tick the uh, machine learning um, AI buzzwords. I'm assuming that's part of your portfolio. What, where are you actually finding AI, AI is able to really add value versus just being part of buzzword bingo? Sure, sure. Um, yes, I agree with it. That is a buzzword like nowadays. Everybody's talking about it. You talk about any business, they're doing it, right? So let's understand the AI. What is artificial intelligence? Let's talk, spend a minute on this one. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So when we look at, when we talk about AI, the first thing that flashed into our mind, at least few people's mind, not everyone, is those movies you've seen from Hollywood, right? A Terminator trying to terminate someone and they think like humans and, and they can outthink you because the machine could be more powerful and all that. That level of AI is very, very, very far away. We're not talking that level of AI. We're not talking singularity, that's for sure. Um, you know, um, Mr. Lakhani, a Harvard professor of ours, he calls it a strong AI. He said, okay, let's, let's redefine AI. Let's call that strong AI. What is happening all around the world on AI right now 
is automation of certain tasks which were earlier performed by humans but now no longer need humans in that chain and that's all ai is doing right now and let's call this a weak ai for example that's what he calls it dr lakhani calls it weak ai and that has tremendous amount of value you know one example you can say you know and financial um, which which deploys it that you can apply for certain um, loan no human is in between to approve that loan it gets approved based on various data that it collects and your ability to pay and that entire calculation happens based on ai so tomorrow if a large number of people from your profile start not your profile my profile i'm just giving an example it starts failing on on delivering that loan or, or uh, meeting their obligations the algorithm automatically adjusts the score and moves the certificate uh, approval process for a higher score this is all being done without human being in place and that's the kind of ai we are talking about so in our case where we are using ai for example in predictive maintenance the algorithm learns it is trained for three four months with the data which we give supervised learning it learns that machine and say okay at various conditions this is how machine should be performing but if if there is an anomaly if if the generator is running at half the load it should not have you know let's say um, uh, every other um, cylinder is giving me exhaust temperature of 270 and one of them gives 320 at that load there'll be no alarm sounding because alarm let's say alarm is set for 370 you would not notice it but it it uh, but our algorithm finds the anomaly that why this is behave based on the historical data and pattern this is anomalous to that and let's call it out let's raise an alert and provide effective things that the maintenance guy can perform to check what are the possibilities for that for this to happen so it's it thinks like a chief engineer and that's how we bring that's how we are able to bring ai into our predictive maintenance algorithm to achieve certain tasks which only a human could decipher earlier our algorithm is deciphering uh, and and help and aiding you in your decision so that's reassuring the ai is not going to kill us um, I don't know whether it's going to uh, remove jobs. Um, I think it's kind of inevitable. Uh, I don't think there's anything we can do to stop these uh, uh, efficiencies. So, uh, last question: um, You know, where are things headed? What's uh, what's next for uh, Alpha Ori? Um, where are you going? Uh, well, uh, we are headed to you know, have the success that we are looking for. But before I tell you where we are headed, um, one of the things that I wanted to just tell, you know, the various learnings that we've had, we started this with a big vision, big dreams, and many of the dreams have uh, uh, become successful or as we had dreamt. But at the same time, uh, there are so many challenges that were thrown our way or either we didn't anticipate it, it came our way, um, natural or man-made, whichever way you can say. The one thing that I would say that 
one of the learning for us in startup is that nothing goes as planned, right? You should be able to get what the hands you're dealt with and how you adapt to it. How quickly you can come back with a solution to either unseen challenge and our newly present challenges. Um, that has been a fun element, element sometime, frustrating element other times. Um, but that has been one learning that we one should always be prepared for unexpected in any startup. I mean, it can go for any business, but the uncertainty can have much more impact when you're trying to just establish yourself. It, be, it could become existential question. And we deal with so many existential question, uh, um, you know, we dealt with it in the beginning. Now, as we have more and more customers, we have more stability and things have kind of calmed down a little. But if anybody's doing a startup, they should think about it that yes, there will be many existential questions that will come our way uh, and that we'll have to deal with it for sure. Now, going to where we are headed, we are headed to just by numbers, if I can see, um, we did 100 ships last year. We are looking to do 250 new smart ships on top of the 100 by end of this year. So we are targeting 350 smart ships uh, in 2021. We are on track to deliver 450 uh, um, ship palm, uh, uh, which is our ERP product. Uh, on 450 vessels and we are on target to exceed our revenue target for this year. This is all um, looking or heading in the right direction for sure, despite all those challenges. But aspirationally where I want to be in one year time or year and a half time, where I'm able to convert non-believers into believers in digital transformation. And that's where we want Alpha Ori to succeed in, in a way where it not only uh, inspires us who work for it, but inspires some of those non-believers to see the success of digital transformation of their own organization and take up that journey. That's where we'd want to be aspirationally. So it sounds like you basically want to move from maybe the early majority to the late majority to start getting some of the people that aren't the forward looking ones. Hopefully you'll have the, the metrics, the success that will convince people who don't care about the technology, never heard of IoT, inherently skeptical of machine learning to just do it because their colleagues are doing it and they're saving money, making money and they want to do the same. Absolutely. Very good. Yeah, that'll go a long way in making this, uh, not only this company successful, which we are on our way, but making this industry successful, making this industry sustainable um, for, for uh, you know, uh, for our globe. Uh, so yeah, that'll, that's, the, that's our aspirational goal. And we are looking forward to um, continuing that journey. Wonderful. Well, more power to you, Sam. Congratulations on the success in the face of adversity. Thank you very much for staying in touch, coming back on the show. Thank you for using the word existential. I think you're the first person to use that on the show. I think you just raised the kind of uh, cachet of the show by your vocabulary. Some great insights that I think go beyond uh, 
shipping into broad IoT. So uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Steve. As always, it's a pleasure to be with you on the show or off the show. It's, it's always a pleasure to interact with you. I always learn something new when I talk to you. So thanks for the opportunity. All right. Very good. Well, this week's episode was brought to you uh, by uh, Jesse Hazelrig, who's our uh, producer, and uh, Nelson Fernandez, who's our editor. Uh, my son is still working at Starbucks one year in, uh, so I want to thank them for their program for supporting young adults with autism. Uh, it's amazing. And lastly, I want to thank you, our listeners, our viewers, for your loyalty. And uh, I'm impressed. You made it almost to the end of uh, this, uh, this episode. Please do tell your friends, colleagues, uh, rate us on uh, whatever platform you're using to watch or listen to us and I look forward to seeing you next time. So Sam, tell me a little bit about your career. I think uh, people, uh, I tend to interview people with interesting jobs. I think you've got an interesting job. It's probably people who want your job or a job like it. Um, uh, how did you get started? Where, where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in India. And then uh, after having uh, done engineering work for about five, six years, then I came here for master's uh, to the US. And then interestingly enough, I did an internship in a telecom company, even without any prior knowledge of telecom. And um, they gave me an offer before I even went back to work, uh, went back to finish my last year in school. They gave me an offer. Um, and I decided to join them uh, right after graduation. So it worked out well from that point of view. Um, telecom was uh, hot that time in 1996. They had done the deregulation of telecom in the US. And uh, there were so many companies. Um, so I just got lucky to be in a, in a um, hot company by, uh, you know, by any standard at that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, having worked there for a um, few years, um, decided to move to uh, West Coast uh, because we had some family here. And I just happened to apply in Qualcomm, got an interview. Um, interview went well, but before even you know I could get an offer, my wife was pushing me to get a job in West Coast because she saw the beautiful weather of San Diego. She's like, this is where we ought to be. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so it worked out, um, got a job with Qualcomm. And in fact, I, I could say not one, but there were so many jobs at Qualcomm that yeah, I changed my career every two, three years, about 10 years in Qualcomm um, there. Uh, by the time I was actually ready to leave Qualcomm or I, or I, I was doing well, I thought, um, but I had a very interesting offer to join a startup or in fact, start a startup with some investors. And this had been my you know, lifelong dream to work in a startup. So what could be better opportunity How did where you, the investors come your way? Sorry, I had to interrupt you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's an amazing opportunity. I want to pause because you're like moving forward rapidly. Um, um, and we could spend a lot of time talking about all the jobs that you did. But uh, so you're working at Qualcomm for 10 years, which is a long time in high tech, uh, but you, it wasn't just one job, it was many jobs. How do you get to a point where investors in a startup are coming to you? Because 
that doesn't often that doesn't happen to most people how did it happen to you well it happened for two reasons one that the investor uh, became a friend because we climbed kilimanjaro together so he became he came to know me <laughs> over there i came to know him we became good friends uh, and uh, then he found out that i had spent about 6 years prior to coming to telecom i had spent 6 years in shipping so i knew that very well that industry that he he came from so we had too much in common and then we kept talking uh, for a few years uh, about some interesting opportunities happening in shipping industry and that's when he proposed to you know do a startup with us so this is an important thing so did you know uh, someone who was an investor and then persuade them to climb kilimanjaro with you or were you climbing Kilimanjaro and met an investor who uh, happened to have a set of common interests in the background? Well, we had a common friend. So one of my classmates who was a uh, uh, vice president in Twitter, um, he was my undergrad classmate. And that was the common thread between the investor and me. And uh, that's how I got to know. That's how we were on the same trip because it was organized by my friend who was a common friend. He uh -huh. organized the trip okay. to go to Kilimanjaro and then I met him for the first time on the trip. All right. This sounds like it's going to be very hard for other people to replicate. Find a friend who knows someone who's an investor and then arrange to climb a very high mountain with them. Probably just maybe we distill it down to uh, networking and uh, maintaining relationships and uh, doing not being just work focused. Do you, do, you th do you think that the climb had something to do with your relationship burgeoning the fact that you did this difficult, dangerous thing together? Absolutely, because mountaineering is something that is even in some of the MBA classes, uh, uh, they, they uh, encourage people to take up is that what is mountaineering? Mountaineering is setting a very high goal for yourself that I'm going to climb a very high mountain, not getting intimidated by the task, plan it accordingly and take one step at a time towards that ultimate goal. And before you know, you're on top of it. So if you're going to think about how am I going to go to the 20,000 foot mountain, you're going to get intimidated. So you plan it out and you say, all I'm going to think about it today, what I'm going to do and what is my next task go towards uh, take next. Uh, action towards that goal, which is the next step. One Put one foot ahead of the next foot and keep moving. So that makes total sense. So if you want to meet overachievers, you need to do things that overachievers do. Uh, and clearly, you know, versus, I don't know, sitting back watching uh, episode 50 of The Sopranos, which is what I was doing last night, you decided you were going to climb a mountain and uh, who are you likely to meet? You're going to meet interesting people. It's a no-lose proposition other than the, the uh, obvious physical peril. Okay, so you climbed the mountain. How far did you get on the mountain? We, we did the summit. I, I, yeah, I, had a, I have a nice photograph. I can send it to you. We did the summit. In fact, there were 19 of us in that 19 of us in that group. And each one of us submitted. So this was the organizer's goal that many of the first time climbers, his goal was how can I take a group of people who are not into it, who are not experts, some of them have not done it. But the goal is here to all of us to summit 
to help each other during the journey, motivate each other, help each other to make sure we all finish the goal together. That was the purpose uh, that was, uh, and that guy who's the common friend is our CEO now in the company. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. So do send me the photograph. Normally we have these very uh, nicely airbrushed business portraits, people striking a pose, which I like kind of, uh, but um, we'll have a pic instead. We'll have a picture of you on top of Mount Kilimanjaro and people will wonder why on earth have they got that as their thumbnail. And then hopefully they'll figure out and appreciate it. Yeah. I, I remember doing something not probably quite as impressive, but we went on a team building course back in the day when companies invested in that. And I was a manager of a team and we went to the Lake District in England and we had to climb up a waterfall and uh, the instructor kind of got it wrong and there'd been a heavy rainfall just before we went up. And so we were like, it turned into a life and death situation. And then we had, to, then we got lowered down a, a cliff. We were rappelling down a cliff into a, a cave uh, which was like enormously claustrophobic, jumping off a ledge in the cave into pitch black, landing into a lake. And the only way to get out was through a sump where you basically have to go. We could see the, the light coming out from under the water. We had to dive down and come up. By the time we'd been through that, it was an amazing bonding experience. It, it, it really, you know, it all came out, all of the tensions that maybe you can uh, bottle up um, in, in a and not express that it all came out, but we, we were bonded so well. I still keep in touch with the people in that team. Absolutely. All right. What a Very story. good. What wow. A... <laughs> um, thank you, Sam. Uh, great to hear that. Um, I guess well, before we move on though, uh, so you met, you got together. Um, and then, um, how did you figure out who was going to do what in this company that you were starting up? Excellent. Um, so what happens like in any startup, right? Few of you get together and you said, this is the task we're going to do. And then we talk about, okay, what, what do you bring to the table where we can maximize the qualities or the skills that, uh, any, uh, you know, you have or an individual possesses in that team. So we looked at it. We said, there was a guy, uh, ex Cisco, ex Ruckus wireless, um, he had been in engineering for a long time. So he's going to do a CTO or engineering slash head of engineering role. That was no brainer. At that time, the first goal was that, okay, who can take this new vision to market? Who can bring this new vision, create a product out of it to meet that vision and take it to market. So since I was the first employee, uh, officially in that, uh, organization, Alpha Re Technologies, which is called. So I became kind of head of business, so chief business officer, chief product officer, who's also writing the PRDs and uh, anything else that had to be done. Uh, so basically we have all wore multiple hats. And uh, that's why my first title was chief business officer and chief product officer doing both. As we grew a little bit, there's another fellow from Singapore joined us as, and then I gave up my business responsibility and he became kind of head of sales. So there wasn't a clear distinction uh, up front who should do why. We basically said, okay, who has the skill set to start it and which which one, which piece of the work do you want to take up? 
so uh, so obviously in my in my experience i've had had multiple experiences in different roles so i raised my one hand two hand or whatever wherever the gaps we found we raised hand and we picked it up very cool well, that's really interesting insight into how the this the startup came to to be thank you sam sure Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.